Hello, I'm Paul Scott, and this is the latest in my series of uh, Chief Executive Interviews. Um, today, I'm talking to David Sterling, CEO of Zotfoam. So welcome, David, and thanks for joining me on the call. Thank you, Paul. Now, I should um, emphasize that um, David is abroad, so we think the mobile phone signal's good enough to do this interview, but apologies if it's a little bit... Uh, uh, less than ideal quality. So firstly, I'll do the disclaimers quickly. I'm not charging a fee for this interview. I don't currently hold, but I, it is on my watch list of shares that I'd like to buy at some point. I'm not giving financial advice nor any sort of recommendation, and please do your own research. Okay, right, launching into the first obligatory introductory question, David. Last time I spoke to you privately, you gave quite a, um, a comprehensive overview of those phones, described the business, which I thought was very useful. So could you launch into that and tell uh, the listeners about the company, please? Yeah, thanks, Paul. So Zotphones primarily is a manufacturer of high value-added block phones, um, and therefore... Um, Sorry, I've just had people just uh, invade my space. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, let's carry on. All right. Um, so what we do is we take, uh, we take a variety of different polymers and turn them into very lightweight uh, foams, which are used across a huge variety of industries. Um, the biggest market for us at the moment is uh, in the supply of material for high-end running shoes for Nike where we have an exclusive agreement, but we also supply materials for um, aircraft, for space exploration and space tourism. Now, automotive, medical, um, military, marine, sports, a uh, huge, huge variety of uh, different things. And uh, the foams come with a range of properties. Uh, so if you're looking for a running shoe, you want something that's going to return the energy uh, through your stride. If you're looking for something that's going into space or aircraft, you want something that's very lightweight and burn, for example. Um, and those lightweight properties come from a proprietary and unique foaming process that we operate in the UK and in, also in the US and uh, laterally in Poland. So we have uh, three facilities offering uh, capability there. And uh, we also make uh, materials that go into biotech, pharmaceutical insulation, um, clean room uh, grade foams, uh, which help protect people and uh, insulate the pipes there. So it's, uh, the foam business is, is quite varied, to be honest. And uh, we, we also have one other arm in our business, which we call Mucell uh, Extrusion. Uh, which we can come on to later, I'm sure, but uh, is a technology development arm. Mm, okay. And um, now at Stockopedia, we've been reporting positively on, on those phones this year um, because you've been putting out these good trading updates and strong results. Things seem to be going really well, despite the difficult macro environment, which is why I wanted to interview you. So can you talk us through what's driving this strong performance and how is it that you're bucking the trend? Well, I think, uh, firstly, as I explained earlier, we operate across a wide variety of industries. Uh, so it's really about understanding the dynamics in those different industries 
you know, where the value added from our material is um, and how we can, you know, refocus our resources in the short to medium term into areas which are doing, you know, better than others. Um, the other challenge, of course, is, uh, is managing raw material and energy input prices. And, uh, you know, we have been on the front foot this year in doing that, uh, putting prices through, um, which is never what you want to do when you're uh, trying to keep the customers' uh, inflation down, etc. But, uh, you know, it gives you a good chance to engage with the customer and explain your value proposition. And uh, thus far, we've been successful in, in getting prices through and, uh, you know, managing margins as well. Mm. But I saw your uh, Q3 trading update that came out re recently where you said Q3 revenues are up 27% uh, against strong comparators in the prior year, and year-to-date uh, revenue is up 24%, which, I mean, is really impressive in the current environment. And you're talking about demand, resilient demand, and so on. So, um, is this is this mainly price increases then, or, or, or volume growth, or what's the mix of those two? Yeah. So, the, firstly, um, we are, although we're UK based, uh, we only sell nine. Uh, we, we sell ninety percent of our products outside the UK uh, mm -hmm. in dollars, euros, and the dollar uh, strength is not something we're going to take credit for. That's uh, that's you know, boosted the top line uh, numbers a bit. But, uh, yeah, the majority is uh, price increases or product mix. Um, you know, some of our homes are much more expensive than others, uh, more technical, and uh, those uh, sales to those products have been growing faster than the other parts of the business. So that moves the top line as well. Yeah. Okay. And then looking at gross margin next, um, when I looked at your P&L, it struck me that the gross margin seems relatively low, but you seem to operate on pretty lean overheads, which produces a nice, healthy uh, profit margin of about 10% at the PBT level in the recent interim. So is there scope to raise that gross margin, or would that lead to, would that open the door to competitors taking market share, maybe? Well, I think... Uh we basically have a strategy of uh, in, over the over the kind of investment cycle of investing in assets which initially uh, are underutilized and you need to increase utilization. And as utilization increases, then to improve the mix. Uh, so we're at the point in the cycle where we have got uh, a decent upside in the gross margin from better asset utilization. Uh, so that's that, that's the first thing. Make sure the factories are running full. Um, but over the medium term, we definitely expect that the, the mix enrichment from selling higher value homes from the same. I mean, one of the key things from Zoke Homes is we've got the same assets that can make all the different ranges of homes. And so uh, we over the over the longer term expect that the higher value, higher priced uh, homes will become a bigger part of our mix. Mm, okay. And um, well, you touched on this earlier, but input cost inflation, um, 
Now, you said in the Q3 update there's been some recent abatement, uh, for example, polymer prices easing. Um, quite a few companies now are starting to report a similar sort of thing in terms of inflation, cost input uh, easing or even going into reverse. So wh- how do you see things panning out there? Well, I think it's a still a mixed picture. Um, the polymer prices that we're referring to there were uh, low-density polyethylenes mainly, which had uh, had really spiked um, through the first half uh, this year and uh, were coming down from record highs. But, okay, they're still coming down. That's uh, better than going the other way. Um, other cost inflation is still around. You know, people are very familiar with energy, and uh, you know, that's uh, no stranger to us. Um, but certainly... It feels like, uh, in terms of the non-energy industrial inflation, that that has mostly been in the system. And uh, and people, if they are raising prices now, uh, tend to be far more muted or, or uh, flat and uh, occasionally, you know, labor or energy is cited as a reason for cost inflation. But it's definitely a lot better than it was. Um, mm. We're still paying higher prices than we were uh, sort of pre-pandemic. Uh, let's be clear about that. Uh, so, you know, our prices have risen accordingly, uh, their selling prices. Uh, but certainly it feels like uh, the focus right now is much more on managing supply chains, certainty of supply, etc., rather than the, the, the cost management. Yeah. And uh, on energy costs, I can't remember if you mentioned this, but have you fixed or hedged your energy costs at all? You must be quite a high energy user, I would imagine. Yeah, well, we did. We did have a program of uh, fixing energy costs um, or buying ahead a certain percentage. Um, the Recently, we haven't because the forward energy prices are eye-wateringly high and uh, there's definitely a feeling that you know we don't want to lock in those prices um, but uh, through 2000 and, uh, um, 2001 our prices were hedged we had hedges partial hedges through the first half this year uh, but right now I'd say there's very little of an energy spend that is currently hedged yeah okay and if you know if pr- prices say doubled, would that have a, a serious hit to your profit line, or would you be able to pass it on? Well, I think we are in constant dialogue now with our customers about these uh, inflationary elements. So um, there, there would be a discussion about uh, further pricing, uh, you know, mm. to our customers. Um, you know, I don't think we like. To, you know, just automatically pass things through. That's not always the most sensible thing. And um, certainly, I think uh, if prices come down, you know, in some, some way, we're having conversations with them about that. So, for example, in our polyolefin-based business, where the, the polymer costs are starting to come down, uh, customers are asking us, well, does that mean that price increases that we had are being reversed, etc. So there's a constant dialogue about that. 
Um, the, the answer to that question, by the way, is no, because uh, we've got other inflation like energy in there as well. But um, we're having a constant dialogue, and I think it, it feels like it's going to be well into the middle of next year before there's any possibility that the kind of inflation will feel settled. Yeah. Okay. And I think when we last spoke, you also talked about certain supply chain issues and certainty of supply in your the kind of products you supply. You know, you can't tell a customer like Boeing that you're out of stock of their bespoke parts. I mean, is, how, have you, how have you managed supply chain problems and inventories? Well, I, I think we take a very cautious view on this uh, in the sense of, uh, you know, we, we, we don't work with these technical materials, we're not working just in time. We're working with a sensible inventory buffers. Um, we are in very close relationships and dialogues with the raw material suppliers uh, and you know, making them very aware of the types of businesses we supply mm-hmm. because uh, ultimately you know, supply chain interruptions will cut them as well. Um, it's not possible to to, to uh, eliminate every risk, but certainly with mitigation, uh, we feel we're in pretty good position. Yeah, great. Let's move to the balance sheet next, and this is something I've always placed great emphasis on in, in my company analysis, uh, strong balance sheets. Now, um, you've done a lot of capex over the last few years, and debt has risen quite a lot. Uh, but it now looks like the business is is, is turning net uh, a free cash flow positive. So do you, could you talk us through that? Because it's been a really big, a major capital spend, hasn't it, updating all your factories and so on. So could you talk us through that side of things, please? I mean, it, it, yeah, it has been a major capital spend. And uh, if we look back to 2018, uh, we were capacity constrained. Um, we saw the opportunity to... Uh, are, you, are you there, David? So, so, sorry, you, 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 you broke up for about five seconds, David. Could you go wind back five seconds-ish? <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, if we go back to 2018, we were capacity constrained. We saw the opportunity to, to grow the business, but um, we definitely needed to expand the factory footprint in North America to do that. And... Uh, the UK facility is pretty much built out, so that's hence why we put the facility in Poland. Um, so growing the US, put the facility in Poland. We also invested in some new efficient equipment in the UK. And all, all of that was uh, done sort of pre and, and actually during COVID. Uh, the Polish facility, the team there did a fantastic job in, in completing that and, and getting it up and running under COVID. Um, and of course, Demand was then very strange. You know, it, uh, it felt like the the world that we had forecasted when we put the expansion plans together was was very different than the world that we inhabit today. Um, so again, it was about reprioritizing, refocusing the markets that we're looking at and how we're going to do that. And uh, you know, I, I think uh, back then we were. Uh, We've, we've almost doubled the size of the business. If you look from uh, five years ago to the analyst forecast for this year, um, you know, very different business. 
And so we're still, you know, um, you're growing into that capacity, as it were, uh, a little bit. But certainly the major capex is now uh, over. The, uh, the amount of cash we're generating is, is really uh, strong from the business. And uh, as we said in our latest trading update, the, uh, the level of debt and the, the debt ratios, debt to earnings ratio, definitely uh, starting to look a lot more comfortable. Yeah, I mean, personally, I mean, normally I'm pretty averse to debt, but in your in your case with soap foams, um, I spotted that you own the freeholds to your Croydon and your is it Cincinnati um, site in America, which um, are worth probably equal to or more than the bank debt even. So that must give the bank a lot of comfort. And you've got very very keenly priced facilities from the bank recently, haven't you, for on renewal? Yes, well, we own for the major uh, investments we make. We're really investing for the long term. You know, some of the the equipment that we buy, well, you know, it doesn't last five years. It lasts an awful lot longer than that. And uh, and because it's flexible, we can tune it to making different homes or different applications as the markets evolve. And so we want to to own the the freehold of the land. And uh, you're right, Croydon. Uh, in South London, in uh, just south of Cincinnati, and also in Poland, we own all the freehold. Uh, so, and, and banks like security, they do. And uh, yeah. I think uh, I think we've got a very good relationship with the bank. Um, you know, as you said, we've just recently uh, renewed the facilities, and uh, you know, we're in a good spot. Mm, yeah, and your net tangible asset value. Uh, it's 96 million, and presumably the freeholds are in at cost and could be worth more than that. I would imagine. Uh, yes, we don't re- we don't revalue the, uh, the freehold land. Yeah, brilliant. Um, now, so that's covered that question. Now, the Blue Sky project. This is the thing that I think is really interesting, and it's basically in for free if you look at the valuation of the shares currently. So I'm talking about resource with a Z. Uh, to make recyclable drinks cartons. Um, this sounds really exciting, but it's commercially unproven as yet, isn't it? So tell us more about this project, the timescales, and maybe the upside and or possible downside cases, whichever way it goes. Yeah, so the, the technology is basically um, layers of plastic and foam, all made from the same raw material, um, which give you a, a, a very thin, uh, what looks like thin plastic or feels a bit like a paper sheet. Um, and it, the, the key properties are, number one, it's made from all the same raw material. And this in the UK, if you're in the UK, um, the material you find in your milk bottle. So widely recycled, throw it in the recycling, it comes back as another milk bottle or, or something similar. Exactly the same concept, and uh, the properties are are high barrier, so we're looking at uh, both oxygen and moisture barrier. So it can be used to package a wide range of mainly food and drink related items. So the obvious ones, something like apple juice. And if you go down to the supermarket, you'll find uh, sterilised apple juice in the ambient, you know, the, the non-chilled. Version. There's boxes and boxes everywhere. 
those boxes are made from multiple materials all stuck together. So typically it will be paperboard, it will be plastic with a plastic cap, and very often aluminium or something else in there. Uh, very, very successful over the years, uh, but in today's environment, very difficult to recycle. And so we brought out this technology called Resource. It's a the, the, the platform technology. The main thing we're looking at right now is cartons, drinks cartons. And compared to what you find on the shelf today, uh, we are 50% lower carbon footprint. Uh, we use much less water and uh, much less energy to, to make the product and the end of life can be completely recycled. We also use recycled content to make it. And because we've got a layer structure, we can put recycled layers in the middle and the outer and, and the layer that touches the food or the drink uh, can be uh, food content safe. So it's, it's very interesting. We're at the, the late stages of uh, scale up uh, in terms of our technical development. Um, and the technology can also be used to make pouches uh, or things like sachets for ketchup or mustard or something like that, all of which today are using multiple materials. If you get a little sachet of, of ketchup from McDonald's or somewhere, open it up, you'll find aluminium in there as well as plastic, which means not recyclable, uh, which is a shame because, uh, you know, for many reasons, but for us, it's an opportunity. Yeah, and I mean, you've mentioned in the past uh, very considerable interest from um, big uh, food producers, and potentially this could be a large part of the business if, if it takes off. So, what are the sort of what are the what are the chances of that happening? I suppose, and how do you see this contributing to the group commercially in terms of the actual numbers? Yeah, so as we see it, um, we are developing the technology opportunity. And uh, in order for people to see that and believe it and take it on board, you have to, you can't be doing a, a waving a sheet of uh, material around under them or doing a PowerPoint presentation. You have to really take it all the way through and show them there is a drinks carton. It's been made with our technology. It's been filled with juice on a commercial machine. The cap's been put on, comes out the end, it's, it's ready for the shelf, and uh, there are the statistics on cost, on carbon footprint, etc. Once you have that, uh, you're of a great deal of interest. Um, in terms of the business model to execute that, we believe that that's better done with a, a partner, um, because you know, Zotlums is not today in the business of making uh, consumer packaging and uh, that's a, a very different uh, mindset and market skill. So we are uh, um, you know, starting the process of, of uh, you know, talking to pe people about partnerships, etc. The end user or the brand view of this, uh, and we've talked to many supermarkets and brands, etc., is almost overwhelmingly positive. Uh, they've got targets to reduce the carbon footprint, they've got targets to, to increase the amount of recycled material they use, and uh, they recognize that this is a very big opportunity to 
move towards those targets. So um, it's, it's going well, but the more we can do on the, the front end, the, the technical validation, the commercial validation, etc., the better position we're in to attract the right partner. And that's where we are. That's kind of the, where we are at the moment. Okay, so it sounds, um, reading between the lines, it sounds as if we're probably looking at several years away from full-scale production of this. Is that right? Um, well, I, I, I think that's quite a difficult thing to call um, because you've used the phrase full-scale production, and actually um, this, is, this is something where the market is so big uh, that you know, if if we have something that the market likes, then uh, this could be a growth for for many years to come. And as I said, we can also not just do cartons; we can do pouches and sachets and, and other things. So there's quite a lot of uh, you know opportunity to commercialise this. Um, but I think let's take one step at a time, um, and uh, it is something that we hope to be updating uh, shareholders of the market on on a fairly regular basis, um, you know, over the next uh, six months or so. Yeah, great. And uh, well, I've got well, the obvious follow-on question is about IP, IP protection on this uh, resource product. Uh, well, we've found a lot of patents. <laughs> so um, that's, that, uh, you know, the first patent uh, which we found in 2019 uh, has been granted in the US, uh, so that's in the bag. Um, there are quite a few other countries, territories that that patent has been filed in, and they tend not to get examined until the primary filing jurisdictions have had a look at it. So those are in progress. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I was talking, uh, as you mentioned before, I'm at a trade show in Germany. I was talking to some colleagues and um, we're coming up with uh, even more IP, even yesterday, uh, some uh, intellectual property ideas, even yesterday in relation to this. So it's, um, I think there's, there's quite a lot of opportunity for intellectual property. It's always a difficult thing uh, to, to gauge how strong that is and mm -hmm. uh, how widely applicable it is and do you infringe anyone else, etc. But uh, we employ external consultants to help us with this. We've got a full-time uh, IP manager in the business uh, whose job literally is to do not much else other than that and so it is something that's central to our business case in this uh, endeavour. Yeah, great stuff. And then last question, uh, just the general outlook for the business. I mean, you're having a good year this year despite the uh, awful market conditions. So how do you see the outlook and what's your strategy to grow the business? Acquisitions or organic growth or a mix? Yeah, we're, we're largely looking at organic growth. We we see a lot of uh, opportunity uh, organically. Um, there are certain segments of the business that are are, are perform or, or market segments that are performing well. Um, other ones are still struggling, you know. Uh, so we've just got to allocate our resources and focus on the ones that are give us the opportunity. And uh, because we've got that broad portfolio, uh, that's what we do. And uh, I, I think that, you know, I've been in the business 25 years. Um, I, I think it's more uncertain, perhaps, in the last two years than it's ever been. But also I feel that 
the world is moving towards us. People want light weighting. They want uh, tech performance. Um, there's a whole lot of new things coming out that our technology is well positioned for, and uh, you know that's been a deliberate strategy of ours. So we can see a lot of a lot of opportunity. Great. Any other points you'd like to cover, David, before we wrap up? Um, no, I just thank your listeners for uh, spending the time to get to this point in the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, I think that was a really, really nice introduction to the business. Thanks, David. And I better let you get back to your trade show and sell some stuff. <laughs> so I hope thank we you. can. I hope we can talk again when you when you next update the market. All right. Appreciate that. Thanks, David. I hope things go well, and, and bye for now. All right. Bye-bye.